Center for the Confluence Investment Asset Allocation Weekly Podcast. I'm Phil Adler, your moderator, and I'm joined today by Confluence Investment Management Market Strategist, Patrick Fearon Hernandez. The Asset Allocation Weekly Report dated September 4th, 2020, takes a close look at personal income data and what that data might portend for the U.S. economy. Now, Patrick, each month we get a report on U.S. personal income from the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. As an example, one of the latest reports covering the month of July told us that personal income increased 0.4%. That seems pretty healthy, considering that we're living through a pandemic-caused recession. How do economists define personal income exactly, and and what does that 0.4% increase compare to? The government's measure of personal income is really quite broad. It includes wages, salaries, and employee benefits, which make up more than half of all personal income. But it also includes items like proprietor's income, dividends, interest, and rental receipts. Uh, Over the last two decades ended in 2019, total volume of personal income increased at an average annual rate of 4.2%, or about 0.35% per month. So when we say personal income rose 0.4% from June to July, the increase actually was right on the long-term average. Now, does the personal income number include the entire eligible workforce, even those who are without jobs right now? Uh, Yeah, it's really comprehensive, including the income received by business owners, employees, jobless people receiving unemployment benefits, even retirees and disabled people receiving Social Security payments. What percentage of our economy is fueled by growth in personal income? Well, as in most advanced economies, personal consumption expenditures drive the large majority of U.S. economic growth, more than two-thirds of all economic activity in a typical year. Consumers generally need to fund their spending out of income, so you could say that more than two-thirds of our economic growth is dependent on personal income. Patrick, one of the main points you make in your Asset Allocation Weekly report is that there's much more to the story than just the headline number. It's not just personal income, it's disposable personal income. What's the difference? Yeah, this is really important. The issue is that few people have the freedom to spend all their income. The most obvious thing that prevents that is the prevalence of taxes. Uh, As I like to remind people, there's nothing certain in life but death and taxes. And since it's so hard to avoid paying taxes, and since you can't spend what taxed away, economists focus a lot on the level of personal income after taxes. That's what we mean when we refer to disposable income. And what's our recent history of disposable personal income growth? Over the last 20 years, the total volume of U.S. disposable income has grown at an average annual rate of 4.3%, only slightly higher than the average increase in overall personal income. But what I focus on in my article is that the growth rate of disposable income has been slowing dramatically over time. The slowdown in disposable income growth goes far toward explaining why U.S. economic growth has moderated over time. So I wanted to dive deeper into what was happening in that area. There, there seem to be many reasons why disposable personal income has not been growing all that fast. What are the most important? 
Well, you're right. Uh, there's a boatload of reasons why income growth has slowed so much. But uh, the most important factors are probably slower population growth, globalization, uh, declining inflation, and changing tax policy. You put it all together, and that explains an awful lot of why income growth has been moderating over time. Research done by Confluence Investment Management, Patrick, focuses on how consumer debt takes a bite out of disposable personal income. I I suppose I have the discretion to not pay that debt, but not for long. Um, To what extent have debt levels, in effect, subtracted from disposable personal income? Well, one of the major structural changes in the U.S. economy over recent decades has been the rise in household debt. One reason that's an issue is that it's hard to get out from those debt service obligations. Uh, It's probably not as difficult as avoiding taxes, but it's difficult enough. Leading up to the great financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, debt service obligations rose to approximately 13% of disposable income. In other words, excess borrowing in the form of home mortgages and other consumer credit meant that for the average household, about one-eighth of their after-tax income was spoken for by debt service obligations and therefore unavailable to be spent otherwise. Unfortunately, people whittled down their debt after the crisis and interest rates fell. So debt service obligations by the end of 2019 had declined to less than 10% of disposable income. So for the typical household, only about 88.1% of total personal income is available to be spent after paying taxes. Only about 79.5% of personal income is available to be spent after paying taxes and debt service. This is the amount that's truly discretionary income. Patrick, Confluence Research also takes into account inflation's impact on disposable personal income. If my income grows, but inflation rises more, my disposable personal income is in fact shrinking. What's the recent history of the impact of inflation on disposable personal income? Well, to understand how the typical individual looks at their purchasing power uh, and to strip out the impact of slowing population growth, we convert all these figures to a per capita basis. If per capita discretionary income is rising much faster than consumer prices, then the typical individual is enjoying a big increase in discretionary purchasing power. Over the last couple of decades, per capita discretionary income was rising about 1.5% faster than inflation as measured by the consumer price index. Right before a recession, you often see a narrowing of that gap because of slowing income growth, accelerating inflation, or both. Uh, Indeed, that narrowing probably contributes to the recession uh, as it did during the Great Financial Crisis. Since the crisis, however, low inflation and accelerating income gains were actually producing big improvements in household purchasing power. So it seems to me that low inflation has been taking the sting out of debt's impact on personal income growth. Am I on the right track? Exactly. Real per capita discretionary income was rising nicely in the period right before the coronavirus hit. And that's probably helped the U.S. weather the situation better than it otherwise would have. Well, what's happening now as a result of the pandemic? Are debt levels growing? 
Well, that's one thing we're watching closely. Uh, the debt service data comes out with a leg, so we don't know for sure. But there is some anecdotal reporting that at least some consumers are leaning on credit or debt service moratoriums to get through the crisis. The Fed's low interest rate policy might alleviate the pain, but rising debt could still cut into purchasing power going forward. Now, the Fed made some recent decisions, and uh, their decision to let inflation rise beyond 2% annually, I'm curious about that. Is that an admission that low inflation alone is no longer enough to keep the economy humming and that a greater focus perhaps should be placed on job creation? Well, the Fed does seem to be putting more weight on, on job creation going forward. But if debt levels rise from here, it'll still be important to keep a lid on interest rates. What role might Congress play? As long as the coronavirus pandemic keeps impeding business activity, additional federal fiscal support may be needed to keep household balance sheets as healthy as possible. Patrick, do you have a prediction as, as to how these trends will play out in the coming months? We still think Congress will get around to passing another pandemic relief package. But the longer they wait, the more damage could be done to household balance sheets. And if any such package doesn't include aid to state and local governments to help them weather their pandemic-related fiscal shortcomings, a lot of public employees are at risk of losing their jobs. The economic recovery is in place, but we expect it to continue to proceed in fits and starts. What asset allocation decisions might Confluence Investment Management consider if personal income growth cannot be sustained? Well, if discretionary income starts to falter, the economy would be at risk of softening again. So we'd be looking for ways to reduce risk. However, bonds are already richly priced. With Fed's commitment to keep interest rates lower for longer, a softening economy might therefore further play into our increased exposure to precious metals. Thank you, Patrick. You can find a link to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Weekly Report on the front page of confluenceinvestment.com. Also on that page, you can find a link to a PowerPoint presentation discussing charts which support the Confluence Outlook. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.